0: Welcome to the Small Business Buzz. I'm your host, attorney and entrepreneur, Kimberly Hanlon. Today, I'm talking about the foundation that every successful business is built upon. And we have Scott Plum, also known as Professor Plum, here to talk about how business owners can up their game and be better salespeople through building trust and rapport. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Okay, let's get to it. The number of new businesses that start up every year is staggering. At least, it is to me. For the last few years, there's been about half a million new businesses that start each month in this country. And that's a lot of business going on, if you think about it. On the other hand, only half of those businesses will make it to the five-year mark. Between the divorce rate at 50% and the business washout rate at 50%, it's no wonder business owners are under so much stress. I mean, I'm just kidding, of course. Well, I'm mostly kidding. The thing is, if you've invested your savings into your business and you've invested your time and your family's invested their time, not to mention their emotional resources and your emotional resources to seeing you get your business off the ground, you don't want it to be for something so short-term as a few years. Five years only occurs as a long time to a child. In the scope of your lifetime, in all of your career, five years is a blink of an eye. They may not be easy years, but they do go fast. When we look at businesses around that five-year mark, We can start to see the difference that small but impactful decisions make on those businesses. Of the businesses that fail, oftentimes the owners worked really, really hard, but not with a plan in place and not taking time away from the running of the business to analyze and regroup and pivot and and do all the stuff that people refer to as working on the business instead of in the business. Of the businesses that made it through the worst of it, and hit their stride, and then ultimately succeeded, the owners took the time to plan and prepare. And more than just that, they did it smartly. The time that it takes to do the sort of work I'm talking about isn't a lot. It's just doing a little here and there, in increments but always intentionally taking the time to do it. Part of that is mindset and part of it is just discipline. For business owners who want to be in the second camp with the rest of the businesses that succeed and who are willing to do the small but impactful work that needs to be done, I talk to them about building a solid foundation for their business. And here's how I talk about that or how I analogize that. If you want to build a house, you can't build a mansion on the foundation for a two-bedroom. I mean, that's just not going to work, right? And if you really want your house to stand for a good long time, you can't build it with a rickety foundation or a foundation that has holes in it. Well, it's the same for a business, and a business's foundation are its legal and insurance and financial and tax systems. So a solid legal foundation, what does that mean? It means making sure that you're not leaving huge vulnerabilities that can wipe you out. Things like regulatory compliance and licensing issues. And that you're not following bad business practices that will expose not just your business to risk, but also your personal assets as well. And not making sure that you have protected your business relationships, whether that's with your customers or your vendors or your workers. Think about it. If one of those three were no longer present, your business wouldn't be either, at least not for long. So here's the list of the core foundation that you need, at least from a legal perspective, to make sure your business makes it past that five-year mark. First, your formation documents. That might be your articles of incorporation and bylaws, or your articles of organization and your operating agreement. It even could be your partnership agreement. Whatever form of business you have. The documents that go along with that aren't just some legal technicality. They're actually very, very important. Also, buy-sell agreements between you and partners. And a business succession plan. And it's never too early to start your business succession plan. And business agreements generally, but especially for employees and independent contractors. And intellectual property planning, that's patents and trademarks and trade secrets and copyrights, and trade secrets include your customer list. And intellectual property planning, it's not just protecting your intellectual property, but it's also making sure that you're not violating somebody else's, because that really, really can wipe you off the map. I had Jennifer Kinesny, patent and trademark attorney, on the Small Business Buzz on February 6th. And if you haven't heard that episode, you should go back and listen to it. She was outstanding. And she really covered a lot of what small business owners need to know about intellectual property. Okay, the next thing, insurance reviews. Making sure that you have the right insurance and in the right amount. Some people think that insurance policies are really all the same and you just gotta find the best rate that you can. But it's not true. There can be vast differences between one policy and the next. and the next your tax strategy. The type of business entity you choose. There are strategic reasons to choose a corporation or an LLC or a partnership or a limited partnership. There are pros and cons to each one, and picking the one that best suits your business can be one of the small but impactful differences that can be the difference between barely surviving and really thriving. There are so many things that make a difference like that. I periodically give a seminar to business owners, and for people thinking about starting a business too, talking about all the aspects to building a solid business foundation. With each of the categories legal, insurance, financial, and tax. I sometimes give it as a webinar too. When I give it in person, people always talk about what they didn't know that they didn't know. Or sometimes they knew, but they were kind of ignoring it. There's that too. What's important is that you put doing that kind of work and planning on your radar and that you actually take the time to do it. That's the key difference between the short timers and those who make it. If you'd like to know more about this, be sure to check out my blog post today and send me a message if you want to be in on the next webinar that I do. The link to the blog post is on my show notes, or you can find it on my website at khanlonlaw.com. That's k-h-a-n-l-o-n-l-a-w.com. And while you're at it, sign up for my bi-weekly business newsletter. In each newsletter, I have articles that will help you run your business, and sometimes I have bonus materials for you to download for free, like small business legal guides or recordings of webinars or even model legal forms. Okay, up next is my interview with Scott Plum.
1: The life of an entrepreneur is a never-ending struggle to sharpen that competitive edge that will place your business ahead of the competition. Fortunately, the shape of the average workplace has changed. Finding that fine balance struck between cost efficiency and excellence is now easier
0: than ever. We need help when we need help, but we don't need to be burdened with full-time staff. That's where Astute Business
1: Concierge can help you. Astute Business Concierge. More than just smart, astute. Visit us on the web at astutebusinessconcierge.com to see how we could help you.
0: Okay, today we're here with Professor Plum. Scott Plum is the founder of the Minnesota Sales Institute. He's also a public speaker and um, a member of the National Speakers Association and he's involved in the local chapter. He's the current president of SME, that's the Sales and Marketing Executives, and he's a past president of the Professional Sales Association. And for those of you who are in the Twin Cities, you might be interested to know, he's one of the founders of New Business Minnesota, the monthly publication for startup businesses that launch in the Twin Cities. So thank you so much for being here, Scott. Great to
1: be here, Kimberly. Thanks for the invite.
0: You're welcome. And I've heard you give so many talks. And your breadth of knowledge is huge. And, like, the contribution that you have to small business owners is huge. Thank you. I want to have you back twenty thousand times if you're. <laughs> <laughs> if there's enough
1: if, interest, maybe we if can try you're
0: that Let's start with
1: one. Yes,
0: but let's <laughs> See start if with any one. comments. <laughs> so today, I mean, of all the things that we could talk about, here's what I would like to talk about. Business owners often start their companies because they are technically excellent at whatever mm. it is that they do, mm-hmm. but they may or may not have the other skills that they need you know specific business skills right if you are technically excellent but you can't sell your excellence you're never going to get off the ground no matter how great you are so i'd like to have a conversation that's geared at business owners who are looking to be successful at selling whether that's their product or their service whatever it is that they're doing
1: Mm A good book, now that you, when you describe kind of the, the scenario of the, the listener, a good book is The E-Myth. I don't know if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of it. It's by Michael Gerber. Uh, he's written a few versions of it. He talks about the E-Myth, the entrepreneurial myth, the manager myth, and the technician uh, myth, and how some great managers or great technicians decide that they're really good at a certain skill or they, they they've done well at certain industry and they decided they're going to launch their own business and they do well as being an entrepreneur but they kind of struggle with you know growing the business and that growing the business is probably more focused on the sales of it and convincing and persuading and, and getting other people involved whether it's investors or vendors or partners or you know even clients and, and customers and prospects so Everybody sells and we play that role as a salesperson and in every role that we that we play and sometimes it's easier for people to play that than others. I, I find that the biggest influence in playing a role is to be able to understand clearly the belief that we have when it comes to being a salesperson. So if you think about, you know, what does a salesperson do? And some people like salespeople and some people don't. And it's important to kind of have a mantra that you follow to support a belief of, of having you know, a successful sales role. And a, and a good mantra that I like is to sell is to serve. So if you're a salesperson and you've got a great product and a great service, your mindset, your belief is I want to be able to share this with as many people as possible and I want to be able to serve the challenge that they're struggling with, the goals that they want to meet, and my products and, and service works with them to achieve it. So having that belief uh, to sell us to serve is going to make it a lot easier to support the behavior. So the the rule is our beliefs support our behavior. Our behavior gives us the results that we want. Too often we think about the results, and, and it's okay to to focus on that as a goal, but we can never control the outcome. We can only control the behavior that impacts the outcome. So as an entrepreneur launches a business, looking at the goal that they want, um, it's the destination, what do they have to do every day in order to get there? And that's to perform a certain set of behaviors. Their beliefs are going to support that behavior. If they have a belief that it's not polite to talk about money, because most of us were raised with the belief it's not polite to talk about money, and we don't incorporate the budget or money into a conversation with a prospect, so that's part of the behavior, What's the outcome of that going to be? Well, when we do a proposal or we do a quote, we're going to be fighting somebody on price. Well, because we didn't talk about price before we presented the proposal. So if we talked about price, then it would have been a lot easier for us to be able to handle that before it even came up. So it's an example of a belief, support our behavior. Behavior gives us the outcome. And if when we launch a business, we have to be conscious of our beliefs. Another thing that we need to be conscious of is how we buy is naturally how we sell. And we need to be conscious of that because not everybody buys the same way that we buy. And when we're working with a prospect selling our services, we need to be able to uncover their buying process, what's important to them, because people are going to buy for their reasons, not our reasons. And when we focus on the prospect, it's going to make it a lot easier for us to find out why they would want to buy from us.
0: I would think that that would also go down to sort of communication styles. Not that long ago, I read that book, The Five Love Languages. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've like applied it to so many different aspects of my life. And I know that's kind of like a maybe an odd thing to say. But really, people can only hear you in the communication style that they like to hear or that, that they're attuned to hearing.
1: That's a great example. I mean, how we love each other is how do we show it and then how do we want to receive it? And that's the same way in working with a prospect. They're going to buy for their reasons, not mine. Blaise Pascal has a great quote that people are more convinced by reasons they discover than ones told to them by others. And we need to be able to find out why somebody would want to buy from us. I think the good mindset also to keep in mind is that it's about them. You know, if we really focus on rule number one is it's about them. So let's focus on what they want and what they need, not what I have and what I offer. It takes a lot of pressure off of me. I don't have to talk as much. If I can just prepare with some questions, I can find out what's important to them, and then I can share the information that they find most valuable. Um, when we're asking questions, keep in mind short questions, we get long answers. Some. People like to build up the questions just to demonstrate how intelligent they are. Well, you build up a question, a long question, you're going to get a very short answer. So When you ask a question, just keep it very short. Keep it open-ended. Those are questions that begin with who, what, where, when, how, and why. And of all those, be cautious of questions that begin with why. Why is uh, an emotional trigger sometimes it can cause somebody to become very defensive because they have to justify a previous decision because why is a previous decision that has been made. And that's maybe an example of how the marketplace has changed between traditional sales and new sales techniques in today's marketplace is that we want to be cautious of questions that begin with why. Anything that you're tempted to ask that begins with why could be rephrased with how or what. And you're going to get more of an intellectual answer Uh, and it's not going to be as defensive, and when we get true answers from our prospects, we've got a better chance of working with them. I I don't like using the word help, so I don't say I help them, because I don't want to assume that anybody has a problem or that they even need my help, so I replace the word help with work with, so I work with businesses, or I work with salespeople, I work with management on developing their sales, and it's very difficult for me to help somebody because that would imply that I'm up here and they're down here and that I'm saving them and that they're a victim. And and when we get into a relationship or a dynamic like that, it seems like I'm more committed to the solution than they are. But if we're together and working together and we're really building this mutual consent of working together, it's going to be us against the problem. It's going to be the salesperson and the prospect against whatever challenge that the prospect is experiencing. When you're on the same side as a prospect, you're going to have a greater chance of achieving the goal that they want to accomplish. You have a greater chance of working with them to achieve that goal. And, and that's being a resource and going back to that belief to sell is to serve. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all you know, become very integral.
0: And greater affinity, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they really build on each other. and you. And you see some strong relationships uh, in the marketplace with people that, you know, I think about the relationships between clients and attorneys. They work together on the challenge. And through that experience, the relationship becomes stronger and and probably a lot more honest because you're able to engage in, in conflict together. Conflict is the pursuit of truth. It's a byproduct of people being completely honest with one another. And when you get into that relationship where you're honest with somebody, the salesperson and the prospect, and the prospect being honest with the salesperson, then you can really work together on a solution. It's when the prospect misleads salespeople that you get into some real challenges. Because you can't solve any challenge without the person being completely honest with you. I mean, you know that as an attorney. If somebody's not being honest with you, it's going to really prolong the whole challenge, the, the transaction or the case. And it's going to cost more in the long run when a when a, when a client or prospect's not honest with a salesperson or attorney.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I've had it where, for whatever reason, we didn't have that, that really, that trust level or that affinity at the start. And then partway through, it's like all of a sudden, all sorts of stuff starts coming out of the woodwork, you know, about the situation or a case or whatever. And, um, uh, both with a salesperson and with an attorney, if we don't know, then there's all sorts of stuff that we can't do anything about.
1: right. yeah, yeah.
0: And so we are of no value hmm. if we don't have the whole picture.
1: Kind of reminds me of the the difference between cost and price and and value. some Some people think that they're all similar and they're very different. Um, a cost is what happens when somebody doesn't buy. A price is what they pay when they do buy, and the difference is value. And let me share a story. I I teach a weekly class, and at the beginning of every class, we go around the room and everybody shares their experiences since the last time we got together. So a sales rep comes in, and I said, "Andy, how was your last week?" And he said, "Well, you know, I stopped by one of the farmers that I sell feed to for their hogs, and the pigs are not eating the new feed." And I said, "Well, really?" Uh, tell me more. He said, well, I, I sold feed to this farmer for, for many years and he he stopped buying from me and he bought from a competitor because the, the feed was about a dollar less a bag. So I stopped by to see how it's going and the pigs are not eating the new feed. And I said, well, that's great. And he said, well, why is that great? And I said, well, let's figure it out what it costs the farmer to buy on price. What is the goal of having hogs? I mean, you want to fatten these hogs up and you want to turn them in as soon as possible. Well, if they're not eating, they're not fattening up. So you're holding on to them longer, maybe two or three months longer. Maybe when you turn them in, they don't weigh 375 pounds. They might weigh 275 pounds. Well, meanwhile, within those two to three months, you got to keep the barn lights on, you got to put food on the table, you got to pay the bank. So the farmer is incurring all of these additional costs to holding on to the hogs. And then when they turn them in, they don't get the yield, so they don't get the revenue from it. And The whole goal was to save a dollar on feed. So when we looked at the cost for the farmer to buy on price, it actually cost that farmer ten dollars to save one dollar on price. And when we're working with clients, when they're not being completely honest with us, then that's going to cost them more. So they think they're saving money, but in reality, because they're not being honest with us up front, it costs them money because we have to redo things or we have to change our position, etc. And it's the same thing with a salesperson talking with a prospect. If a salesperson is asking the right questions and working with that prospect to uncover the costs and consequences of not buying from them, so and, and here's the question that people need to be thinking about is, what is the experience in the absence of the value my solution provides? So what is the experience of the absence of the value my solution provides? When we can work with a prospect and ask enough questions to get them to conceive that in their mind, those are the consequences of not buying. Now when we can establish that first, then we establish the benefits and the solutions that we offer, now we're creating a bit of a contrast and context of the solution. So the solution now has value because we've created a conversation of consequences if they don't have it. And there's where salespeople really struggle with convincing and persuading their prospects to buy from them is that they don't spend enough time really uncovering the consequences of what happens if they don't buy. People are motivated two and a half times more by a fear of loss than a desire for gain. If we can establish those consequences it's going to then have some contrast with the value and and benefits and now we're able to justify that price more. And and that's probably the the foundation of working with, with people to make a change is, is really focusing on the consequences.
0: And I suppose if somebody is used to just having a conversation about what they do, but not necessarily what value they add in what they do then there's something for them to get clear about.
1: Right, right. And it's not necessarily for the salesperson to get clear about. It's for the prospect to get clear about. Because the prospects, customers sometimes don't really know all of the consequences or risks that they're taking when they make a decision because they don't have all the information because the salespeople are really the, the resource. They're the ones that have all the information about the solution. And they have the context of how the solution can be valuable. And sometimes... Customers, prospects don't understand the context of how it can be valuable. I mean, if, if you think about a software program that you have, I mean you, you pretty much use it to your level of how do you use it, but it's so much more powerful than, than it really than how you use it. Well, we that's
0: certainly uh, true of the podcasting. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. There's a <laughs> lot of features somewhere. on there.
0: I'm like, all I know how to do is cut here and paste there. <laughs> but if you
1: spend three hours with somebody that sold the software, they'd be able to tell you everything there is to know about it. And you'd go, oh, I never even thought of that. Well, of, of course, because you're not thinking about it. You're just thinking about, here's what I want to do. Is it going to help me do it? But they can introduce a whole other services or, or maybe some consequences of what happens when you buy on price and you want to do something that the podcast doesn't offer, the software doesn't offer, now you're experiencing some consequences. And now it's a it limits your goal in the future. I mean, it's kind of like buying cheap shoes. You, know, you buy those $20 pair of shoes, and then they last six months, and then you got to go out and buy the good pair of shoes that cost $300. And you have to think about how much does it cost to, to buy a good pair of shoes. Well, in that case, it's $320. So you end up buying them twice. That was my first website, As I spent $500 on a bad website. Then I went and spent a lot more money on a good website. Well, now I have to put both of those together, and that's how much it cost me. So I actually paid more for a good website because I bought on price and not necessarily cost. Right. I made that mistake.
0: Okay, so let's take a quick break. Okay. Okay we're back okay Well Scott, what do you think is the biggest challenge that that business owners or or even salespeople who work for business owners have?
1: well there's a there's a couple of things that can have a big impact on a salesperson's results. Uh, one is is not being accountable for their actions and and not having that that commitment if If I wanted to be associated with one word, I would want it to be commitment and like I messed up when I bought my first website. I admitted that I made a mistake. That was my fault. And I need to be accountable for my actions, and I need to be responsible for everything that I do and don't do. I learned this when I went through uh, ground school to get my private pilot's license. The very first day of class, the instructor said to all of us, as the PIC, pilot in command, you are 100% responsible for the Safety and operation of this aircraft. And if anything ever went wrong, you could never blame the weather, another pilot, the tower, or the aircraft manufacturer. You are 100% responsible. And I thought about that in my own life. And I'm responsible for everything I do and I don't do. And if I blame other people for my failures and misfortunes, there is no reason for me to ever change because it's not my fault. And if I have that attitude, then I don't own my future. Everybody else does because I become a victim to everybody else's impact. And I need to be responsible for everything that I do and don't do. Another thing that holds salespeople back is a high need for approval. So they want to be liked. And And we have all heard that it's important, you know, people like to do business with people that they like that are like them. Yes, we have heard that. But let's not stop there. Let's strive to be respected. And, and when we're striving to be respected, we might say some things or ask some questions that, might make somebody upset, but we need to ask the questions in order to make them think about what they want and what they need.
0: What do you mean by, in order to be respected, you might have to ask people some questions that they might not like, like what kind of questions?
1: You might see the prospect as leaning towards making a, uh, a decision to something that might cause them to shortchange their goal because that solution might be cheaper. And in that case, you might have to ask questions that bring the future to the present. So you're creating different scenarios that are going to identify the shortcomings of the solution that that prospect is leaning towards. And when you're challenging the the prospect on that and you're, you're bringing those scenarios to light, they might get upset that you're trying to convince them to spend more money or to buy something that they don't understand all the value of it because they're looking at price. And some salespeople might look at it going, Well, if I've got an order, I've got an order, I'm just going to shut up. And then all of a sudden, a year later or two years later, they go, well, How come this doesn't do this? Or how come it doesn't do that? And they said, Well, I never knew that that was something that you did. Or, you know, the salesperson, you know, didn't know or they just didn't want to ask the questions because it upset the prospects.
0: Right. So it goes back to that being of service.
1: Right. Exactly. And you don't ever want to have a prospect regret their decision to become a client of yours.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> because,
1: because you wanted them to like you. I mean, you, we want to strive to earn their respect.
0: Well, as attorneys, I mean, we we have to give all sorts of really straight news, mm-hmm. you know, that sometimes doesn't make us particularly popular. Right, yeah. You know, so I, I get that. And it can be a tough conversation sometimes. hmm Yeah.
1: But in the long run, I would imagine that the clients appreciate it. You know, after they've had a chance to think about it, and just like any prospect has a chance to think about it, hopefully they would appreciate oh, your, yeah. your goal and your intent. Oh, yeah. My,
0: my clients do appreciate it that I have like a no BS zone.
1: Hmm, good.
0: Yeah. When you work with people, how do you usually work with them?
1: I work with them to identify where they want to go and, or who they want to be and where are they now.
0: Oh, that reminds me of a story you once told me that you have to tell the podcast people.
1: Okay. Which one?
0: I don't want to give away the punchline. Okay. Shakespeare. Okay. Alright. Okay. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> there you go. Uh,
1: I I I call it a dismount. So when I close a talk or I conclude it, I, I call that step a dismount. And I I've, I've never heard anybody else call it that, but just watching the Olympics and seeing these gymnasts get ready to do that dismount, they put all this energy into this you know one one move so i'll put all this energy into one story and it's a story about Johnny who's in, a, in eighth grade and a real quiet kid you know really sticks to himself an introvert very good at math and science um and he wants to be a little bit more outgoing he wants to 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 be more of an extrovert and he talks to his school counselor and his counselor says Johnny you know you should really get involved in the drama class cuz the drama class you know they're they're learning to play different roles and and if you wanted to be more outgoing, that would be a different role for you. So he, he goes down to the, the drama class and talks to the instructor, and, and, the, and the teacher says, you know, you'd be great, Johnny, you'd be great. And so he joins the drama class. Well, every year in the drama class, they do a one-act play. So Johnny signs up to, to play a scene out of Hamlet. And he studies this scene, and he memorizes it, and he's just one of those kids that just puts everything into it and just has it down, just memorizes it, just just has it. Well, Friday night, they do a dress rehearsal of drama class before they perform in front of the whole school and the community on Saturday night. And it's Johnny's turn on Friday night to, to go through his scene from Hamlet. And he's stuttering, and he's forgetting some lines, and finally the teacher says, Johnny, Johnny, time out. What's wrong? I know you've studied this. I know you know all these lines. What's wrong? Johnny says, you know, everybody's looking at me, and I want to do a good job, and I want them to like me, and and the teacher says, Johnny, Johnny, they didn't come here to see you. They came here to see Hamlet, so be Hamlet. So the next day, Saturday night, it was Johnny's turn to play his scene from Hamlet, and and he performed flawlessly in front of his parents and grandparents and godparents and the whole community. And he got a standing ovation. So when you leave here today, think about your role, think about Johnny and be Hamlet. And then that's when I usually get a standing ovation.
0: Oh, <laughs> thank, you. thank you.
1: I exaggerate a bit. <laughs> that's importance of playing a role. Yeah. And and we we play many roles. I mean, we think, you know, play a husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, aunt, uncle. I mean, so many different roles. There are so many expectations and obligations within those roles. And if we concentrate on on playing those, then, you know, there's no reason for us to be ever embarrassed or ever to feel like we're a failure. Because the definition of embarrassment is to be caught out of role. And when we're playing the role of a salesperson, which is asking a lot of questions, which finding out what a goal is, finding out where they are now, identifying that gap, and then work on a strategy to fill the gap. So That's how I work with people.
0: Awesome and amazing. Thank you. Well, if people would like to work with you or even if they'd like to come see you speak, um, why don't you tell people what, how they can reach you and what you have coming up next?
1: The easiest thing to do is probably go to my website at mnsales.com. I've got a blog on there with... Uh, different articles, some of the stories that I've shared today. I've got a calendar of events. I've got a weekly sales class called the Keystone Club class. It's every Monday from 3 to 5 in the Grand Exchange Building in downtown Minneapolis. And there's also other seminars or workshops that I do across town for different organizations, and and there's some topics listed that people might want to attend, and and usually there's a link on how they can register for those in the calendar.
0: Great. And I'll put a link up on our show notes as well.
1: Great. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much, Scott, for being here. Or should I say Professor Plum? Thank
1: you. It was my pleasure. (laughs) It's great to be with you, Kimberly. Thanks again for the invite.
0: next week for the small business buzz when I talk about the dangers of talking to the wrong people at the wrong time about the wrong things when you are in startup mode and what to do instead we will also visit with Uma Devi from the Bright Path of Shias about a method for reducing the stress that we all have in abundance as business owners and having peace and effectiveness instead You can find links and other useful information on our show notes at thesmallbusinessbuzz.com and be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a good rating and maybe even leave a review. Of course, a lawyer would have a disclaimer, and here is mine. Any information provided on the show is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal advice. The show theme music is Pioneers by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. And the music interlude is I Like Peanuts by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.